0: so what would you consider to be the single most important quest in life? Perhaps we could personalize the question just a little bit more by asking, what are you pursuing as a priority in your life right now? I think most of us have met people who spend most of their time in the pursuit of money. They make all kinds of sacrifices to get money. They move to where the good-paying job is, and the increase in income is the only consideration. If they get a raise, they're gone. To them, money is security, and their motto for life is, show me the money. Well, for others, it's not that, but rather it's recognition or status, and for them, life is about achievements. It is about accolades and degrees and awards. They want to be a mover and shaker so they can be somebody, according to society's definition of what that means. For others, it's beauty. It's physical attractiveness that is all-important. Some guys work out for hours a day to get a six-pack. I prefer a two-liter myself. (laughs) For others... Pleasure is their primary pursuit in life. It coined the phrase, drugs, sex, and rock and roll. Or alcohol can be a driving force, the daily pursuit of the next drink. Some are thrill seekers. Some are adrenaline junkies. Have you seen these guys that put on the, the flying squirrel outfits and jump off of mountains? That is a squirrely thing to do. Some are obsessive world travelers, and my point is everybody is investing his or her allotted lifetime, his or her limited resources, his or her energy in something. And what you are pursuing as a priority in life, that will determine where you end up. It will determine what you become, and it will influence others along the way. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talked about several things that can preoccupy us in this life, and then He made this statement in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, no one can serve two masters. You cannot serve God and money, or perhaps we might insert something else there. You cannot serve God and whatever, Matthew 6, 24. Later in that same section, verse 33, Jesus said, but... Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well." So, am I saying this morning that you should not try to earn money or you shouldn't try to make money? No. Am I saying that our individual achievement, our individual health is not important? No. Am I saying that we cannot enjoy any of life's pleasures during our journey with God? No. Not at all. But what I am saying is that for everyone in this room, something will be your central pursuit in life, and I'm asking you this morning, what is your central pursuit? Here's a counsel of the Word of God about the foundation for living the good life. Here it is from Proverbs chapter 4, verse 5, get wisdom, get understanding. Do not forget my words or swerve from them. Do not forsake wisdom, and she will protect you. Love her, and she will watch over you. Wisdom is supreme. Therefore, get wisdom, though it cost you all you have. Get understanding. If we're going to live life to the full, we've got to make wisdom our lifelong quest. It has got to be our central pursuit. And true wisdom, according to Scripture, it begins with God. That's in Proverbs 1, verse 7. It says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning. It's a starting point of wisdom. But fools despise wisdom and discipline. This text says, If you do not know God, who created all things, who revealed truth, who established absolute values, then you cannot be truly wise. You cannot consistently make good and right choices in life without knowing God and without knowing His truth. And the unwise person, the fool, makes choices that contradict God's truth. The unwise person, the fool, ignores God's value system. And you may have heard it said from time to time, The older we get, the wiser we get. Now, folks, you know, I I just don't think that's true. I don't think that gray hair and wisdom always go together. Wisdom is not automatically imputed to us as we age. In fact, I've heard some older adults say some pretty foolish things, and I've seen older adults behave in some pretty foolish ways. An older gentleman was out for a drive with his wife. He was pulled over by a policeman and asked if he knew that he was speeding, and he said, I'm sorry, officer, I, I had my cruise control on, and I just forgot that the speed limit changed. Well, his wife said, George, I told you two miles back that you were going too fast. George gave his wife a dirty look as the officer pulled out his ticket book By the way, sir, did you know that your taillight is broken out? The policeman asked, to which George replied, Oh, it must have just happened. We were just parked at the mall. Again, his wife interrupted to say, George, how can you sit there and lie to the nice policeman? I told you about that broken light three weeks ago. George gave her another look that could kill. The officer starts writing. policeman adds, Sir, I'm going to have to cite you for not wearing your seatbelt. And George said, well, I just unbuckled it as you came up to the car so I could get out my driver's license. His wife said, Oh, George, you know good and well, you never wear your seatbelt. <laughs> well, having taken all he could take, George turned to his wife and said, Woman, would you keep your big mouth shut? The officer looked in at his wife and said, Ma'am, does he verbally abuse you like this often? She said, Oh no, only when he's had too much to drink. <laughs> not, not wise words. Not wise behavior on the part of either well, if, if old age doesn't necessarily guarantee us wisdom, well, then what does? Is there anything that can guarantee us wisdom? Well, let's go back to the book of James and get the Holy Spirit-inspired counsel about living with wisdom, and I want to work from two passages in James today. The first is from chapter 1, the second is from chapter 3. The first passage reveals that wisdom is ours for the asking. James 1, 5, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt, because he who believe, who, who uh, doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord, he is a double-minded man, unstable in all he does. I wonder if you've noticed that living really creates a demand for wisdom. There are so many times when we're faced with choices and we don't know which choice to make. So many times that we're exposed to information and, and we just don't know how to think about that information. When we lack wisdom to know what's right or to know what's best, When there is no book, chapter, and verse, when there's no, thus saith the Lord, but we need wisdom, what do we do? When we're not sure whether to attend college, and if we decide we are going to college, then which college do we choose? or what career do we pursue, or what town should we live in, or what house should we buy, or what car should we drive, or should we marry this person or not, or whether to start a family, or adopt children, or have surgery, or how to vote, or a thousand other issues. And you may be wrestling with a decision right now, and you are personally at an impasse. You just don't know what is best. Maybe it's a financial problem. Maybe it is a family concern. Maybe it is a relationship issue. Maybe it is a workplace challenge. Anytime there is an intersection in your life that requires a wise decision, a wise choice, what should you do? James would say, ask God. Ask God. He wants to share your life with you for your good. He wants what is best for you. Because he loves you, but he will not intrude. He wants to be invited, he wants you to ask him. Jesus is revealed as a wonderful counselor, and he will be a wonderful counselor to you if you make an appointment with him and if you keep that appointment. The arrogant man thinks he doesn't need the counsel of the Lord. Self sufficient person refuses to admit the need for wisdom. So has life created a demand for wisdom in your heart? Do you have a situation you cannot figure out? Do you need to know which way to turn or what to think? Ask God. He is the source of wisdom. Wisdom, listen, is a divine gift. You don't get it by living a long time. You don't get it by having a broad range of life experiences. You don't get it through an expensive education. Wisdom is from God. And so rather than trying to frantically figure everything out by yourself, talking to friends, reading self-help books, watching Dr. Phil or Oprah, you need to go directly to the source of wisdom. The source of wisdom is God. And He'll give you His wisdom generously. God's not stingy with His wisdom. He wants us to have it. He'll give it generously. He'll give it without finding fault. God will give you His wisdom if you ask Him for it, even if it has not been your practice in the past to consult with Him. The only condition is, this is the only qualifier, you've got to ask in faith, nothing doubting. James says, now, if we ask God for wisdom, but in our hearts we doubt Him or we doubt that we really want to do His will, we doubt that His wisdom is really best, then he says our life will be like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. In other words, we'll have this constant pattern of instability in our lives. If you've ever been on an angry sea, you know that it can make you seasick the movement of the waves, the recurring ups and downs. James calls this being double-minded. He says it's like having your head in two different worlds. The double-minded person cannot decide from one day to the next whether he or she really wants to trust God and seek His wisdom. And this on-again, off-again Christian, James says, can't expect to receive anything from the Lord. God can't work with us unless we entrust ourselves to Him completely. Ask Him in faith for His wisdom, nothing doubting. He'll give it generously. It was Abraham Lincoln who said, I've been driven many times to my knees by the overwhelming conviction that I had nowhere else to go. My wisdom and the wisdom of all about me seemed insufficient for the day. Can you identify with those words? Do you face a problem that has exhausted your best efforts to solve? Are you looking for answers that seem to evade you? Is your wisdom and the wisdom of those around you, like Lincoln, is it inadequate? Listen. The one who is all wise delights to give his wisdom to those who ask with a trusting heart. You need only to ask God for wisdom for your marriage, wisdom for your parenting, wisdom to know how to act or react on the job, wisdom to deal with difficult relationships, wisdom to know how to witness. God's wisdom is ours. I know it sounds too easy, sounds too simple. God's wisdom is ours for the asking. And God's wisdom is also ours for the choosing. In James chapter 3, verses 13 to 18, we read, who is wise and understanding among you. Let him show it by his good life, by good deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or lie about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven but is earthly, unspiritual of the devil. For Where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom that comes down from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow peace raise a harvest of righteousness. That's a lot of words, friends, and my guess is that most of you got lost somewhere in that paragraph. It's very important to me that this collection of words makes perfect sense to you today. In this section of Scripture, James is contrasting the only two kinds of wisdom available to us. There is the wisdom that is identified with the world and the wisdom that is identified with God, and we choose one or the other to order our lives. And what James is doing in this paragraph is he is allowing us to make a comparison knowing that when we clearly know the difference between worldly wisdom and godly wisdom, we're going to choose godly wisdom as our pathway for the good life now. So I want to lay it out for you in a chart form. I think it'll be easier for you to visualize and to understand the content of this text. Take a look. Verses 13 through 18, he gives us the origin and the operations and the outcomes of the wisdom that does not come down from heaven and the wisdom that comes down from heaven. First of all, the wisdom that does not come down from heaven in verse 15. How does it operate? Well, it is earthly, it is unspiritual, it's of the devil. Now, the word earthly simply is a way of saying that this kind of wisdom is all horizontal. There's no vertical dimension to it. There's no link with God. It's all about what people think, how people have educated themselves to come up with good answers for how you ought to order your life. It is earthly. It's bound to earth. Or it's also described as unspiritual. Now, you see, the people who've chosen the wisdom that does not come down from heaven, these are people who have discounted the idea that we have any spiritual dimension to our lives, which is a denial of reality. But still, that's the way they want to live. They want to excise Spirituality from human beings, and so it is unspiritual, and it is of the devil. That is the source. Worldly wisdom, wisdom that does not come down from heaven, has a source, and that source ultimately is the devil. Verse 15, what can you expect if you live a life with wisdom that does not come down from heaven? Well, you can expect in your life a lot of bitter envy or jealousy, you, you conceive of life as being for you. Selfish ambition, you want to get ahead, you want to get more for yourself. Bitter jealousy, selfish ambition, there's a lot of deceit in this kind of life. And there's a lot of denial. Lying is just a pragmatic thing that you do. If you're ordering your life without any consideration of godly ethics or values, then lying is not a big deal. So denial, deceit, and then ultimately, verse 16, disorder and every vile practice. You can expect with this kind of wisdom, you can expect a life that is disordered and a lot of evil practice. Now we wonder sometimes, how do people commit some of the acts that they commit? If you watch Dateline or you watch uh, 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 some of these programs, 2020, and you hear about these heinous crimes that people commit, and you wonder, how do people degenerate to that extent? starts out with a choice of wisdom that does not come down from heaven. It leads ultimately to disorder in every vile practice. Okay, contrast that with wisdom that comes down from heaven. Verse 17, it is characterized as being pure, peaceable, considerate, submissive, full of mercy. This is a person who is compassionate, a person who is humble, a person who is pure, a person who generates peace in their relationships with other people and good fruit. And if you want an exhaustive list, you can turn to Galatians chapter 5. Look at the fruit of the Spirit there, clearly a a reference to what you can expect to grow in the life of the person who who chooses wisdom that comes down from heaven. Finally, being impartial and being sincere. What's the outcome of this life? Well, good life, that's what we're talking about in this series, a good life now. The wisdom that comes down from heaven ultimately ensures this outcome, a good life. Now look at this, good deeds done in humility. Good deeds that are done not for self-aggrandizement or self-projection, but because you really care about other people and they're done in humility. Good life, good deeds done in humility, verse 13. And then he says, righteousness and peace. These are the people who do the right thing. These are the people whose life is characterized by stability and by peace. Now, this is the most fundamental choice you will make in your life. So I want to ask you this morning, which life path have you chosen? Which life path will you choose? It was the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 7, verse 13 that inspired a very well-known piece of poetry by Robert Frost. Jesus was concluding the Sermon on the Mount when he taught this. Broad is the road that leads to destruction and many enter through it. But narrow is the way that leads to life, and only a few find it. Robert Frost, impressed by this text, sat down and wrote these words. Two roads diverged in a yellow wood, two roads diverged in a wood, and I, I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. And believe me, my friends, it will make all the difference for us as well. If we choose God's wisdom that is so insightfully revealed by James, if we take the narrow way that Jesus invites us to walk with Him, if we take the road less traveled. I want to close by sharing research from a book by Al Sanders entitled Crisis in Morality. He contrasted the lives and the lineage of two very different men from the 1700s. One is Jonathan Edwards. He was a preacher who lived a godly life. Max Jukes was an outspoken atheist who lived a godless life. In other words, Edwards chose the wisdom that comes from heaven. Jukes chose the wisdom that does not come down from heaven. Max Jukes married an ungodly girl And from his union, there were a total of 540 descendants that were tracked. 310 died as paupers. 150 were criminals. Seven were murderers. 100 were drunkards. More than half of the women were prostitutes. His family tree cost the state one and a quarter million dollars in the 1700s. That equates to 35 million Seven hundred thousand in today's currency. One man. Now, Jonathan Edwards, no relation to John Edwards, please. Jonathan Edwards married a godly girl. An investigation of thirteen hundred and ninety-four descendants revealed thirteen became college presidents, 65 became college professors, three U.S. senators, 30 judges, 100 lawyers, 60 physicians, 75 army and navy officers, 100 preachers and missionaries, 60 authors of prominence, one vice president of the United States, 80 public officials in other capacities, 295 college graduates in a generation when very few went on to college, Among them were governors and ambassadors. His nearly 1,400 descendants did not cost the state a single penny. Edwards chose the narrow way, God's wisdom, the road less traveled, and it has made all the difference. So we don't only choose for ourselves, do we? We choose for those who come after us. God's wisdom is ours. It is yours for the choosing. And it's the single most personal and important choice of anyone's life. And did you know when you choose God's wisdom, you're choosing Jesus Christ? 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 24 says that Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. He is the personification of the wisdom of God. And we get to choose. And I know this choice can get suppressed. It can get suppressed if you're reared in an unbelieving family during your formative years. It can get minimized during your growing up years, middle school and high school, with sports and music and friends and activities and the rest. It can be undermined by a university education as you sit under the negative influence of instructors who have chosen the wisdom of this world. It could get lost in the process of marrying and starting and raising a family. It could get buried under a pile of distractions in this life or under the distortions of the value system of our generation. But to fail to make the choice of God's wisdom is to choose by default survival in this life with the world's wisdom. And if you live your life by this earthly, unspiritual, devilish wisdom, I want to remind you that the outcomes are not encouraging for you or your posterity. But today, today God's wisdom is yours for the choosing. It's yours for the asking in this moment of decision, this time of commitment. You can choose Jesus as your Savior and Lord. Remember, He is the power of God. That's the Savior part. And He is the wisdom of God. That's the Lord part. And you can be added to His family, the church today as we stand As we worship, we invite you to come.